Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. The question to think about is, growing up, what did you love about God and what scared you about God? that were already given to us. And there was such mixed messaging in the story of God that we were given. On one hand, we were given a story about God who is loving and cares for us, and there's just grace upon grace upon grace, and it's free. But it's free after you confess all of your sins. Make sure you get every one last one out there, because if you don't confess all of your sins, then when you say the prayer, then God's maybe not going to hear you. And then you have to keep living into some story of perfection to please God, even though grace is free and love is free, but make sure you keep pleasing God because God would be angry with you and then there's a rapture and hell. Anybody else, my friends? So it's just a mixed messaging story that gives you a lot of anxiety and makes you ask these bigger questions about what do I really do with this God? And now we live in 2022 and we have so many different versions and narratives of what it means to be human. And so for me, as we come back to these stories in the Torah, there are these bigger stories that teach us to listen to God and maybe to listen to God in a new way that who God has been is a God who's evolving, that God is trying to show us God's self in a way that evolves throughout time because God evolves in our own lives as well. And sometimes what we were given was a story where God never evolved, where there's just certitude and absolutes and this God is immovable. And then we grew and we changed. And we said, well, where's God in this story? Instead of being given a story where God was always evolving and we're always evolving. And what if there's actually magic in that? version of the narrative as well. So I have a big idea for you. And the big idea, well, it's already on the screen, is that God evolves and that we evolve. And to talk about that, we're going to talk about some things. So we're going to talk about the periodic table because talk about a good time on a Sunday, my friends. Yeah, pretty exciting, I know. Then we're going to talk about a Hebrew God in Egypt. And if we can do that, then some sacred and secular. And if we can understand the sacred and the secular, then the evolution of spirituality. And if we can do the evolution of spirituality, then Christian nationalism's everybody's favorite conversation the last six years. Thank you, Donald Trump. And then if we can do that, then we'll talk about the pantheon. And if we can talk about a pantheon, then we'll talk about God's not playing games. And if we can talk about how God's not playing games, then bling, empire, my friend, season two. Any fans? All right, seven of us. We're going to have a great time in that part. Then we're going to talk about liberates and does not enslave. And if we can talk about liberates and does not enslave, then we'll talk about the supernatural to natural. And if we can do that, then some human responsibility. And if we can do that, then transcend and include. And we're going to do all of that in 18 minutes. I hope so. I hope so. Here we go. At the beginning of the universe, there's only three elements right? There was hydrogen, helium, and just a dash of lithium, my friends. Some of you know more about that than others. And so with those three elements, it took 13.8 billion years for us to go from those three elements to the 118 elements that are on the periodic table. So at the beginning of time, we only had three elements and three atoms, and then supernovas had to collect their energy, and stars had to go through their life cycle. And then when a star would explode, it would unleash new elements out into the universe. So it was this massive process of 
dying and resurrecting in the universe that leads us eventually to three supernova lifetimes over where we eventually get to the universe that we know now where we have 118 elements. You're like, Corey, this is so interesting. Go on. I will. And so what happens here with these 118 elements is without all of the elements, we would not have the ability to have human life. That 3.6 billion years ago, when Earth is forming within our solar system, we need all of these other elements to get things like rocks and minerals. And then out of those rocks and minerals, then we get things like plants and single-celled organisms. And then out of single-celled organisms, we get multiple complex organisms. And then out of that, because an ecosystem is working perfectly, because there's enough oxygen in the air, and all of the elements are working appropriately, and all of the other animals are doing their things, which create the perfect environment, then human beings can evolve out of something else. And whatever it is that we evolved out of, some other form of you know chimpanzee or something like that. I mean, 6,000 years ago, when God created an Adam and Eve in a garden, belly buttonless people. Anyways, whatever version of the story you want. The point is, at some point, because of all of the appropriate elements, there was an opportunity for human consciousness. That 13.8 billion years ago, it started with three elements. And it took this massive timeline of dying and resurrecting and dying and resurrecting and the energy that's required every time those new elements would be released out into the universe. Then eventually gravity would take place and those elements would be gathered together again and new stars would be formed and the energy and the life cycle of those stars would explode and they would release even more elements out into the universe. And that process had to keep happening and keep happening and keep happening all for there to be an opportunity so that we could sit here in Glendale on a Sunday Sunday morning, and the crowd went wild. That should blow your mind. That the universe itself is incredible. And sometimes the story of God that we were given is highly uninteresting. It's simplified. It doesn't work for the complexity of your life. And yet I would argue that the Bible is very interesting. That the biblical narrative is constantly giving us a story of evolution and of this bigger story. And God is always growing. We just were not taught to see it. Many of us were given a version of faith or a version of tradition where we put God in this tiny box. And if you were to ever question what's inside the box, then something is wrong with you. Instead of what if the whole story is the point of it is to question it is to grow. It's to see how God made these movements of evolution and growth so that the world would continuously be interesting because that's true of our story. It's true of the story of humanity. It's true of the story of the universe. And so it's true of the story of God. And so to talk about this a little bit more, follow along with me in Exodus chapter 9. Then the Lord, being Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, anytime you see that, that is the word for Yahweh in the Hebrew Bible, the tetragrammaton, four little dots in the Hebrew Bible. It's a version of saying, this particular God who acts in very particular ways is saying something to you. Why is that important to you as good readers of the Bible? And by the way, I would be so fascinated in a community like New Abbey is, what if we started picking up some of these stories again? What if we started reading them? What if we said, oh, this shapes the way that I see the universe? Oh, this is helpful for me again. Instead of it being a book that triggers me or that I need to spend another few thousand dollars on my therapist with, what if this is a book that heals me and tells me a different narrative about what it means to be human and who God is? And every time I see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, I say, oh, this is a God who fights for injustice. This is a God who cares about the underdogs. This is a God who creates and makes human beings equal. This is a God who invites us to be co-liberators. Now that's a God that I can get behind. So that God said to Moses, 
get up early in the morning, and the Gen Zers already said, I don't want nothing to do with this God. And stand before Pharaoh and tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says. Let my people, I feel like such a boomer for even saying that joke. Sorry, I, now, now I just offended Gen Zers and boomers. I've covered all my bases, so praise God. This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says. Let my people go so that they can worship me. If you don't, I will send more plagues on you and your officials and your people, and then you will know that there was no one like me in all the earth. But now I could have lifted my hand and struck you and your people with the plague to wipe you off the face of the earth. Comforting words. But I have spared you for a purpose to show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. At first, maybe it sounds like a weird story, particularly for listeners in the 21st century. That the story of the Exodus is pretty famous, that most people know it, even if you didn't grow up in Christianity or Judaism. It's a story about a God who rescues a bunch of Hebrew slaves from a powerful Egyptian rule pharaoh and frees them. And, you know, we walk through the Red Sea and all the beautiful moments in the Prince of Egypt. And so, so far what's happened in the story is that there's been a bunch of other plagues that have taken place. The Nile was turned into blood and there was gnats that filled the skies and there was flies that were everywhere and there's a hailstorm that's coming. Eventually there'll be, uh, the world will turn to darkness for a few days and the last plague will be uh, the taking of the firstborn son of all of the Egyptians. And for the modern reader, like, well, how does this actually tell a story of an evolving God? Well, I'm glad you asked. The story I want to think about, I want to think about it from four really large 30,000-foot perspectives. And so if you will just participate with me this morning, we're going to nerd out just a little bit. But the nerding out, I hope, gives us a bigger perspective of who God is and what God's doing in the biblical narrative, and more importantly, what God's doing in our own lives. That what's so fascinating about this story is that it's a Hebrew God in Egypt. And what you need to know from a historical and anthropological perspective, big words on a Sunday morning I know, is that this never happened before in the history of the world. Everybody had their own gods. That's just what you had. The Egyptians had their gods. The Romans had their gods. The Greek had their gods. And gods do not mix. And the reason that gods do not mix is that powerful people always keep their powerful gods because those powerful gods are working out for you. And so those powerful gods would beat up another empire and you would assume their gods. And you would happily do so because you would think to yourself, well, clearly their god is more powerful than my god. And how do I know that? Well, they beat us in war. It was a very simple view of the world. Even for other indigenous groups, there was this idea that God was just found in, in elements and rivers and sun and moon, but God was always stationed to a very specific thing in the world. For the first time ever in the history of the world, this is not theology, this is just historical fact, you have a God who shows up in another country. You're like, why does that matter to me in the 21st century? It's a God for the first time in history who's saying, there are no borders. There are no boundaries. And how many of us need that version of God as we evolve? Because the God that we were given had very specific borders. There was a sacred and there was a secular. God is found in the worship sanctuaries and God is definitely not found over here. And then you read the stories of Jesus and you're like, Jesus was never in the worship sanctuaries. Jesus was always hanging out with the sinners. So we were told a version of Jesus that didn't even match Jesus. That the Bible is constantly trying to evolve us and grow us. The Bible is trying to push us out of this reality that God is just found in very specific places. That God is just found when you do very specific things. Did any of you ever have to like live a life or like, 
I remember, oh man, this is so crazy. My first two concerts that I ever went to was Chris Tomlin in Third Day, right? Oh my God, and I cried like a baby. Oh my gosh, I'm just worshiping the Lord. I'm such a horrible sinner, thank you, right? And I mock it, but also it was powerful in that moment in my life, but that was the, that was the only reality where God could be found. And the story grows because God says, I know I'm the God of Israel showing up in Egypt. I will meet you outside of the Chris Tomlin concert. And how many of us need that version of God? I will meet you wherever you are at. And I have been faithfully doing that since the beginning of the stories of my people. If you remember back even further that this God, Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the matriarchs. This is a God who pulls Abraham out of Babylon, who pulls Abraham out of the land of Ur. I know you get excited about that. And the land of Ur and Babylon was just the center of power in the world. And Egypt was the center of power in the world. It's like God saying, I'm not going to meet you in Los Angeles, and I'm not going to meet you in the Bay Area. You will find me in the Central Valley. And everyone got excited. The biblical narrative is that God is trying to remind us that God will keep showing up in the most God-forsaken places. Did I just call the Central Valley God-forsaken? I think so. It wasn't intentional, but if you've been there in August, you would say amen. That's horrible. I don't know. That's going to be on like a tweet somewhere. I don't know what, and I offended. I've offended so many people this morning, I will offend myself eventually. So here we go. The point of the narrative is that God just keeps showing up in the places that we wouldn't expect to to show up in. And that's a version of God that we need. If God's going to evolve for you, then God's going to have to surprise you. So if you are living in a story of God in which you have all of the answers, chapter and verse memorized, then maybe that's not the story of God that you need. And if you're still rebelling against that story, let it go. We all agree. It's not interesting. You don't have to fight for that anymore. This entire room says, we don't even want that version of the story. So let that version go and go find a version that actually works for you, that actually heals you and transforms you and gives you a life that's more beautiful and fuller and more abundant. Jesus didn't come and say, I have come that you may not go to hell. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life abundant. Jesus' words, not mine. Jesus says, I came to show you a kingdom, a greater reality, a bigger perspective. And so if there is a perspective or a reality that is diminishing you or repressing you or oppressing you and does not work for you, then you don't have to participate with it. And you don't have to comment on every Instagram blog that participates with it either. Free yourself and clap for that, please. I'm exhausted. I'm sure some of you are exhausted. We get the point. It doesn't work. Great. We can spend all of our time talking about the things that don't work for us, or we can do the very difficult work of rebuilding the world together. It's going to take efforts of both, but let's put our energy, let's start to skew it in a certain direction. That we live in a world right now where for the last seven years, 2.3 million people have left the church every single year in the United States. And that is in large part to conservative Christians. This is not an attack on them. It's a version where the story of God didn't evolve. And it's a story of God where people chose power over the powerless nature of Jesus. And so we have things like, things like, yeah, Donald Trump, right? 
We have stories where people chose a version of power instead of choosing a version of Jesus. And for me, I'm not meant to get political here. Actually, I am meant to get political. That's totally fine, actually. Um, for me, I'm not Democrat or Republican. I voted for Democratic presidents and I voted for Republican presidents. Donald Trump is something else all completely. And it's a version of the narrative in which people have recognized this doesn't add up with the message of Jesus. This doesn't match up with the evolution of God. And now it was just simply in our face. And what it was was a version of Christian nationalism. A version of Christian nationalism where God bless America literally means God only bless America. And we're talking about a God who was found in Egypt, a Hebrew God. God does not just want to bless America. God wants to bless the entire world. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and all of its people belong to God. What a better version of the story. That does not mean that you can't be thankful for living in a country where things work a lot of the times and things don't work a lot of the times, but there are good things. And so if your God bless America means, yeah, can I use my resources and the responsibility and talents we've been given to bless the rest of the world? Well, then sure, keep on keeping on. But if your version of the story means that we limit God into a box that God does not want to be limited in, then that's not a story that we should be participating with. And the evolution of Judaism in the scriptures will keep going there. What God is very interested in is always getting out of boxes. After we go through this Exodus series, eventually uh, the Jews will build a tabernacle, eventually they'll build a temple, and they'll be very excited about it, and God will keep warning them, hey, I know like the temple thing is really exciting, but the point of the temple is not the temple. The point is just to remind you of the good things that I have for you, right? And eventually what will happen is that they will get so focused on worshiping God, this may sound familiar, that they forget taking care of actual people. Anyone ever met a Christian like that? I haven't, I'm just saying, talking for a friend. Well, we're so good at worship conferences that we forget the widow, the orphan, and the poor. And God will always say, I didn't rescue you from Egypt so you could build larger sanctuaries. I rescued you from Egypt so you would understand what freedom looks like and how dare you ever enslave somebody else again. But sometimes when powerless people get power, they often act like just like their dictators did previously. And the story of the Bible is one of evolution where we move out of that. And so if we can believe in a story where God gets bigger, then we can also talk about these other ideas that are here. One is this idea of a pantheon. Pantheon in the ancient world was this, right? All these countries had their own gods, but in the ancient world, I know this is like boring historical information, but please go with me here. And can I get an amen? Thank you for lying to me. And so the pantheon is where all the other gods would talk to the other gods. For the first time in history, in the biblical narrative, you don't have gods talking to other gods, you have gods talking to humans. It's like God saying, there's a better conversation to be had here. And the conversation is this, in the ancient world, if you read things like the Odyssey or the Iliad, the gods are talking to the gods because they're playing games with human beings. And how many of us lived in a version, even you shared it a little bit in the back, right? That the version of God that you have is that God was somehow playing games with us. And if I didn't do the right things, and if I didn't do the wrong things, if A plus B would equal C. But that's not the version of God that we're given. In this story, God is not playing games. God just simply wants to be in a conversation with us. God not only wants to be in a conversation with us, God wants to be in a conversation even with our enemies. The passage that we just read is not a conversation that God is having with the Israelites. It's a conversation that God is having with Pharaoh. And that's a completely different version of God than many of us were given. Because we were given a story of God where God only speaks to some people. And God definitely doesn't speak to other people. But what if the story of God is that God wants to speak to all and everyone? And isn't that a more compelling and interesting story of what God could be doing in the world?
And if we can have this broader idea that God wants to have a conversation with us, then we can have this broader idea of an evolving spirituality. And honestly, for like the first time, like the last two years, I completely forgot what I was talking about. So praise God, here we go, I'm looking at my notes. Some of you have been here a long time. This hasn't happened to me in a while, so this is great. Oh, I know where I was going. This is good, this is good. Then we can talk about a God who liberates and does not enslave. A bigger version of God is a God who just wants to free people and not put people in new bondage. This, the story of Egypt and the story of the Exodus is not where God frees the Israelites and then God goes and puts the Egyptians into new chains. God frees the Israelites and it also creates opportunities for new freedom for the Egyptians. Many of us picked up versions of God where we became slaves to a fundamentalism or to an idea that didn't work for us. Many of us are becoming slaves now to a liberalism fundamentalism that doesn't work for us. And I know that's uncomfortable to say in a room like this, but sometimes we're just trading one fundamentalism for the other. And I've been on the shtick for this for a while now. Some of you have actually been hurt by this thing. I feel like through the Trump era, I spent so much time talking about conservative Christians like I'm exhausted from hearing myself. And I'm just preaching to the choir. But now I am worried in another way that sometimes we will just trade one set of ideals for another, but those set of ideals are the exact same. Fundamentalism looks the same in every area of life. Fundamentalism believes that there's an absolute, and if you ever question that absolute, then you're cast out. That's not healthy for us. That is not the best way forward. That the way of Jesus is not conservative and it's not liberal. I have tend to lean more liberal and progressive in my political ideology and the way that I live my life. I mean, I live in Los Angeles, people. But to assume now that God is only found there will be just as dangerous as to assume that God was only found in conservatism. And in a community like New Abbey, I want you to ask questions and say, yeah, that thing may be advancing, evolving us in one area, but is it freeing us in other areas? And if it's not, it's okay to challenge it. It's okay to challenge things that oppress or repress or create new power dynamics in the world that are unhealthy for all human beings. By the way, that is really broad words to say and very difficult to work out in the nuances and the complexity of each of those things in the very particular places that they work in your life. But as a community, I believe that we can live into that complexity together because we have a bigger story of who God is and what God is doing. And so the last thing I wanna think about is that God moves from the supernatural to the natural. And when we read the stories of Exodus, it's these massive stories of pyrotechnics and God doing big things and all of these plagues and God comes in to rescue us. And it's kind of the thing that we all pray about. God, would you just show me a sign? Would you just come do the miracle? Would you free me from this thing? And the Exodus story is the ultimate example of that, that God does show up, does do the thing. But here's the thing about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, is that Exodus is like the power-packed story of liberation and salvation. But the book of Leviticus, which is the book that any of you ever like read the Bible in a year, tried to do that like back in your day, and then like March would come, you get to Leviticus and you stopped reading. Yeah, that book. Because the book's not exciting, but it's all about covenant. It's all about mutuality. It's all an understanding that you move from the supernatural to the natural. That the story that God is trying to do in the world is not more 10 plagues on Egypt. God is trying to liberate us so that we would become co-liberators. God is trying to free us so that we would go begin to free other people. 
And so the book of Leviticus, as we move on in the Torah in a few months, is this massive story about God inviting us to participate in the mission as well. That so many of us lived in the world where we just wanted more supernatural. I went to a, a private Christian college, and like the fun thing at private Christian college, because like we didn't have great things like drugs or whatever else you guys were doing in state schools, I don't know, um, is we like get like more charismatic and more Pentecostal. It's all about like leveling up for Jesus, right? Like, who could pray more? Who could, like, memorize more of the Bible, right? Only so that we could be more repressed sexually. Like, it was fun. It was like a fun game like that. And I just remember all of these big moments at APU where we're just making stuff up. It's just 19-year-olds who wanted to out Jesus one another. And not for bad reasons, because every human being, we just want to experience God. There's something in our bones that we would just conjure up the craziest Harry Potter stuff you could ever imagine because we just simply wanted to connect with God. But sometimes it was abusive and sometimes it was a new power dynamic that didn't work out. And for me, I'm not throwing all of that away. There are still times when God shows up that I have no explanation for. For like four years of my life, this shoulder would pop out. It would pop up and I'd have to lay on the ground and reset it. And so one year, it got really, really bad where it was happening every other day. Every time I just put on a T-shirt, my shoulder would pop out, and I have to go reset my shoulder. I had to get all of these scans and x-rays and you name it, and I was going to have this shoulder surgery, which my shoulder was going to be out for a year. And so I went on a missions trip, as one does, and I was in Bolivia, and I'm shoveling in Bolivia. Instead of hitting dirt, I hit a rock. Instead of my shoulder going up this time, it went back and off of the socket. So my shoulder is out, like, whoa, I'm like, you know, like screaming in pain, laying on the ground, like not knowing what to do. I finally like reset my shoulder and this like beautiful bunch of Bolivians comes over and prays for me. And to this day, my shoulder has never popped out. Do I know what to make of that? No idea. There are moments where the supernatural is gonna do the supernatural. The problem is that happens for one person and that person goes out there and says, God's gonna heal all of your shoulders, right? For $10,000, your shoulder will be healed and your shoulder will be healed. For a million, all of your wounds will be healed. The problem is, again, when we universalize the story, it works for me and now it's gonna work for all of you. Maybe it won't. Maybe that's not the point of the story. Let God show up where God's gonna show up, but then the invitation after the exodus, after all the plagues is, now you gotta do your part. You've tasted of some liberation. You've tasted of some freedom. And so let me remind you of who you've always been. You are co-creators with me in this story. You are co-liberators with me in this story. And we always want to move the story to a place of mutuality and where we participate as human beings as well. And so the story from the beginning of the universe is one of evolution, where God gets bigger. But if God gets bigger, if the story of Jesus gets bigger, then the story of our lives should get bigger as well. You're going to find the same three or four people answer this question with one another. Where in your life have you or are you experiencing God evolve? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.